I'm glad that you guys are here. Are you excited to be here this morning to worship? Yeah. Awesome. So the message is going to be derailed just a little bit. Because as I was standing there and we were worshiping, I just kind of felt compelled that I need to start out differently than what I had planned. So get ready. This last week, we have had an awesome week of the Lord putting his hand into things and kind of revealing them. And the way this relates to the message is that you see Paul as he enters these places, see the same kind of thing, that the Lord begins to open up doors, show people a peace, and then he walks into those doors and the Lord begins to move. So this last week, um, it started out like any other week, but I'm going to back up because three weeks ago, about, Sarah and I were walking out of, it was after worship, most of cleanup was all done. We weren't like rejecting our duties to do that. So we actually did help with cleanup. And then we started heading out the doors right in the back here. And as we were walking out, I just had this feeling kind of on top of me that our time at North, at Luther and I North in this space was coming to a close. And I looked at Sarah and I said, I think our time is coming to a close here. And she looked and she's like, yeah, I kind of see that too. Now, I didn't really know what that meant. That could be like five years from now because I know how the Lord works. You know, sometimes you get this and you're like, oh, it's going to be next week. But it's like 10 years from now. And we think it's a long time, but the Lord is like, oh, dear child, it's all right. So we, um, we went on with our, our lives like you often do. You have that feeling, then you move on. And um, this Monday, I got notification. Actually, I got a little bit of notification because somebody texted me and said, there's this church that's dissolving, which means they're going to cease operations. So it's sad. It's like a funeral for our Christian body because a church that used to exist is no longer going to represent the gospel as a body anymore. They're going to cease those operations. And I got it, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and then a few days pass, and I'm in this meeting, and it's with the district, the district that's supporting us. Um, they don't support us so much with dollars as much as they are 100% behind us, so it's even better. Um, they said, you know, Aaron, you need to go and go check out this church. The church's name is Bethany. And I had been there before because we had meetings there, some pastor meetings. You never want to go to them. They're very boring. But we had some pastor meetings there. But we met in just one of the small rooms, and I never had really looked around. And so I walked. I was thinking in my mind, like, well, if I have to go over there, then I'll go over there. But I'm not really interested in going over there. And there was a little bit of kind of like, huh. And so I called well, actually, I texted Jason, expecting a quick response. <laughs> I didn't get a quick response, but I did get a phone call right away, and um, he was ready to go over there with me, so we went over there, and there was a sense of unveiling. So I had been there at least three or four times before, but I'd never really seen the whole place. 
And the Lord kind of unveiled this church, this really just buildings for the first time. And as we started walking in, I was, you know, cynical, going, mm, I don't know. And I don't know if they'd really want to do this for us. When we meet this lady, her name is Loretta. And she at first looked at Jason and I, and because of his beard, they were a little scared. <laughs> but she looked, as soon as she found out that we were from, and she did say like oikoi, but oikos, she got, you saw, and she's an old German Lutheran woman, she got excited. Do you know old German Lutheran women? They don't get excited. <laughs> but she got this smile on her face, and she was like, oh, you're from Oikoi. I've heard of you, which is amazing. And she's like, I, wa I want to show you around. And she began to show us around the place, and Jason got really, really excited. And we were walking, and I'm thinking, okay, when am I going to see, like, a crack in the foundation that's, like, this big or um, a hole through the floor? What's, you know, what is this place really like? And it's beautifully kept. It needs some love and care. But what ended up being just a little introduction with Loretta, then we found out that the Lord had placed Jason in a neighborhood while they are waiting for the house to be built and right across the street. From them was this guy who they got to know because they were being missional. And he is a good guy, and he happened to be a member at Bethany during that time. But we found out that he wasn't just a member, but he's the president of the congregation. So almost immediately after we left Bethany, Jason got a call from this guy saying, we're so glad that you're interested. We'd really like to give Bethany to a, to a church that needs a home. So what I would like you guys to do, is that exciting? I forgot the one part. This is really the, the huge part. It's three weeks ago when I said, I think our time at, at North is done. I went out on a prayer walk a few days after that, and I prayed, Lord, and I made it really simple. This is like, so when you guys go, I don't know if I can pray very well. Well, you can go after me. I don't pray that well. So I said a prayer, and it was real simple. I was like, Lord, if our time at North is done, we need a building, and it needs to be free. <laughs> that was a prayer. So, and then I said, I'm like, well, that's not very, but that's what it is. So, Lord, we need a building, it needs to be free. And I was reminded of that as we were being toured by Loretta, and then later when I called the gentleman, his name is Bob, um, and he spoke to us or spoke to me about their desire to do whatever they can to make this possible for us. And so I'm excited that this is a great possibility. The Lord may tell us as we go down this journey, and it will happen rapidly. So I want to, that's why I decided that I had to derail my sermon a little bit because I want to get the message out so that you can begin praying. Because all of us are in this together. It's not something that is just my decision. It's not something that's just the elder's decision or the board's decision. 
It's about us as a community and whether we believe the Lord is putting us in a new place, a new position where we can minister and represent Him well. And if we can't do that, then He's probably telling us we need to say no to this. Even though it's an incredible, awesome gift, we may have to say no. If we say yes, then are we ready to be stretched to do what he wants us to do there. So let's give thanks to God for what seems like an awesome gift. Jason is so excited. You will not just go talk to him about this and he will um, talk to you the whole day. So this is a cool thing as we get into these three churches. We're starting out with the church of Corinth and Paul is traveling he leaves Athens. He doesn't spend that much time in Athens. He has Mars Hill experience. And really, a lot of them, if you remember the last few verses, many of them rejected it and scoffed and laughed. How can you even talk about Jesus who you know, rose from the dead? And a few became believers. So he leaves Athens, and then he goes to Corinth. He probably spends in total about 18 months there. So that's a pretty long time for Paul. Normally, he's kind of in, develops leaders, and then he's out. But in Corinth, the Lord asks him to stay longer. They probably had, at the time that he leaves Corinth, close to 150 adults, maybe at the low end, 40 adults. So they would probably very close to what Oikos is right now. So it wasn't a church of thousands, but it was a significant size because remember they met in homes. This city, Corneth, it was a lucrative city. It had been destroyed but rebuilt, and now it was a center of trade. So there was a lot of money moving through Corneth all the time. Jobs were available for people. And one of the lucrative businesses that were out there was tent making. And Paul just happened to be a tent maker. You see how the Lord starts putting things together? So he has, you can make a lot of money being a tent maker at that time. We don't really associate that as a lot of money unless you're part of REI, and then you could make a lot of money. But... Most tent makers don't. So if you're thinking about tent maker, he was like the REI of Corneth. He, was being, he could make a significant amount of money to sustain what the Lord had put upon his heart to do. So let's start in verse 1 in chapter 18 of Acts. You can find Acts in the New Testament of the Bible. So if you don't have your Bible open, you can open it up, go towards the back part of your Bible you'll find chapter 18, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels, and then Acts. Acts is the story of the Christian church as it got started. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corneth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar, Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue, trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike. So as Paul enters a new stage, a new place, and this is very 
appropriate for us right now. Because if we are to enter a new stage in the history of Oikos, we should be doing these same things. First thing is that he does, the first thing that he does is he finds people. It's relational capital. It's, a, it's one of the second most important capital, just under spiritual capital. He finds people because through people are connections. Through people, the other resources can be received. The second thing that he does, finds a job. Every parent out there goes, amen to that. If you're going to go somewhere, find a job. My mom said this to me all the time. I don't care how crazy, ideal, whatever you have, Aaron, wherever you go, just make sure you have a job. That's been in my mind ever since. Wherever I go, I need to find a job. Because he knows that financial capital, though it's not the most important of all the things that you can look for and secure, it is something that helps move things forward. So he, gets, he starts his tent making. And then the third thing that he does is he develops a predictable pattern. He visits a synagogue every week. Every Sabbath, he's there. He's investing in spiritual capital, relational capital. He's investing in intellectual capital. He is investing in the city of Corneth. Verse 5. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. That's a key thing there, right? He has some good disciples who have followed him in the last few years. They come, and in a sense, they make it available for him to stop making tents and begin spending all his time preaching. So you can imagine Silas and Timothy may be making tents, financially supporting Paul. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. He got right in there. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I'll go preach to the Gentiles. Then he left and went to the home of Titus Justus, a Gentile who worshiped God and lived next door to the synagogue. So he didn't go that far. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, which I just think, just listen to this. This is amazing stuff. He's in the synagogue. They oppose and insult him. So he basically walks out the door, shakes his dust, goes to the next house, and then the leader comes after him. The leader of the synagogue comes after him. And everyone in his household. That means all his, this is the leader of the synagogue. That means he's a wealthy individual with a lot of contacts, a lot of servants, a large family, most likely. This could have been 20 to 30 people following Paul. And everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. Now, many of us would think, man, if you get opposed and insulted and kind of kicked out, that kind of ends your whole idea, right? That ends your whole purpose. 
man, I would have probably left Corna. But Paul doesn't walk in wanting fast results. Paul walks in and he doesn't bring a megaphone and say, do you know if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell tomorrow. He doesn't go around and say, man, do you guys know that you're just awful? Believe in Jesus and be better. He walks in and the Greek word here is dialegomai. Kind of comes from or it's where we get the word dialogue. Dialegomai means to converse, discourse with one another, argue, discuss. So Paul comes in slow-paced, starts building relationships within the synagogue, and we know that it must have been directly with the leader, where they would converse back and forth about who Jesus is. And when Paul said Jesus is the Messiah, this leader continued that dialogue, which meant he got a little bit excited. And remember, the Jews, they're waiting for a Messiah. So this leader of the synagogue gets a little bit excited because perhaps, perhaps Jesus is the Messiah. He may have missed it, missed the boat, but now he's being invited onto the ship. And so he follows Paul. Now, he could have done this preaching in the synagogue forever, right? Because he's been opposed before. He's been stoned, and he returns. But this time, he looked at them, and he said, you know what? I can no longer be here. I just gave the message that Jesus is the Messiah. And the question arose in the hearts of the people in the synagogue. The question that I talked about last week, that once you've encountered Jesus, you have to ask the question, what do I do with him? What do I do with his words? What do I do with how he's asking me to follow him? What do I do with Jesus? And the majority of the synagogue said, we don't want Jesus. So Paul shook his robe and walked out. Now, for many of us, this seems like, man, that's, that seems kind of rude of Paul. He's a Christian. Why would he walk out? Aren't we supposed to keep trying, 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 trying? Do you guys agree? Should we keep trying, 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 trying? See, I got some yes and some no. I'm not going to give you the answer because guess what? The only person that can give you that answer is the Lord. What Paul seems to be living out is a message out of Ezekiel. So Ezekiel is found in the Old Testament. He's an Old Testament prophet. Ezekiel 33. It says, when the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it is their own fault that they die. They heard the alarm but ignored it, so the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. 
But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, now see, hear the switch. If the watchman doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he is responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths. This has huge implications for us today. Now, son of man, I am making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself. Now, the watchman is what Jesus has charged us to be. The watchman cares for the city. The watchman watches for the enemy, which is Satan. And when Satan is coming, if the watchman doesn't make a warning, it's not the people of the city's fault. It's the watchman's fault. When Satan comes for your family and you don't make a warning, it's your fault. When Satan comes for your husband and you don't make a warning, it's your fault. When Satan comes for your children and you go, well, I just, I'll let them believe whatever they want to believe, it's your fault. God has given us great responsibility, and Paul recognizes this. So not only is it great responsibility, but it is a precious message. And so Jesus actually reverts back to this same story in Ezekiel in Mark chapter 6, when he sends out the disciples to give this precious message precious message about him coming, dying, and rising again. Chapter 6, he says, wherever you go, he's saying this to the 72 as he sends them out, stay in the same house until you leave the town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. Maybe some of us are kind of like, cringing in our seats because we go, I've been those people left to that fate. I've had a watchman warn me, and I rejected it. Who's rejected it? You better all raise your hands. Because I've had conversations with you. <laughs> I've rejected it. I've had watchmen say, Aaron, and I just ignored it. But boy, am I thankful for those watchmen now. I am thankful for the ones who had enough courage to step up and say, what the heck are you doing? What are you thinking? 
Why are you going in that direction when the Lord is calling you here? This erupts the question of whether or not we're being a good steward of the gospel. The gospel is the most precious thing that Jesus has ever given us because it's about him. The gospel completes everything. So every law that we've broken, everything that we've done against God, Jesus completes it. And then he offers it to us. It's like that test that you took in high school or college that you went into the test and you said, oh, crap. I didn't study at all for this. I don't know, like, 75% of the answers. And so I hope there's a makeup. <laughs> I hope there's a bonus question that I know. Have you had that feeling? Because I've had that feeling. I've gone into those tests. Some of them were in seminary. And I went in and went, oh, no. I'm a loser. And what Jesus does is he takes that, and before you hand it in, he completes it, erases your stupid answers, and then he hands it in. It's complete. That gospel message is so precious to us because it completes us and then frees us to be possessed by God, to be his special possession, his children. He gives us an identity that no one can take from us. No matter how idiotic we can be, no matter how many watchmen warn us and say, don't, don't do that, and we ignore it, the gospel keeps calling. So to Jesus, this is a precious, precious piece of news, which is what the gospel means, good news. And so when he says, if someone refuses it, walk away, it's because they're not ready to receive it. It's not because you're looking at them and putting a judgment on them and saying, well, you suck, so see you later. It's because it's too precious to waste. So you move on. So we're being, are we being a good steward of the gospel? For Paul, if he would have said, oh, I'm not going to listen to the Lord and I'm just going to stay in that synagogue instead of going over to this person of peace's house, what would have happened to the leader of the synagogue? Would he ever have walked into freedom with his family and received the fullness of the gospel? I don't know. But we do know that he did because, he, because Paul left. And yet, God then asks, as we continue in the story, for Paul to do something even more. But I wonder, for some of us, when we think about following the Lord and we hear his voice, have you ever kind of felt like, okay, I know this is what the Lord wants me to do, and immediately after you do it, something bad happens, or what we perceive as bad. Um, for some of us, it could be like tithing. I did say it again, tithing. That you're giving up some of your income, right? It's not really your income, it's God 
that gave it to you. So now you're just returning some. But I know many stories of people who go, I'm going to start tithing. And they give 10% of their income. And some of us are going, well, I wouldn't start that much. I mean, silly person, you know, why are you doing that? And immediately then their car breaks down. In fact, um, if you've heard Jason's testimony about tithing, some of that kind of happened for him. He began tithing, and then he lost his job. I think for Sarah and I, we began tithing, and Zach went in the NICU. And we went, yee, awesome. Yeah, so I just disclosed that Sarah and Aaron supposed to be holy, holy people because we're pastor people. We didn't figure out the tithing thing until a few years into my ministry. But something bad happened, and we had to have, we had a, we had to have a question like, so what do we do with Jesus? He's asked us to do this, and now this happened. For some of us, it's serving. You go, ooh, I'm going to go serve. I'm going to go set up in the morning with Howard and Alyssa. And then you lose your job. And you're like, um, God, didn't you see I was like doing stuff for you? Why did you let this happen to me? For others that may be sharing, you've been hearing us talk about opening up your homes, and so you open up your home and someone steals something. So for Paul, it happened this way. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, and he told him, don't be afraid. Those are always words, if the Lord ever says that to you, you shouldn't be afraid, but you probably will be. <laughs> Speak out. Don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the Word of God. So Paul at this point had a choice to either listen to the Lord or leave and move on. But he chose that he would take that invitation the Lord gave him. And if I got that invitation, I would be thinking after my history of being stoned and whipped and almost dead and kicked out of places, I'd be thinking, oh, this is actually going to be kind of easy. I'm going to speak out. The Lord's going to protect me. However, verse 12, but when Gallio became governor of Achaia, Achaia, some Jews rose up together against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that were contrary to our law. So I, when I read this, I was just thinking, what was going on in Paul's mind? that I, I've done this one before. And as soon as I'm brought in, I'm usually beaten and imprisoned, and then God has to free me. So I would be asking the question, Lord, didn't you just tell me that this wasn't going to happen? But see, for Paul, he doesn't look at the short picture, he looks at the long picture. He doesn't play a short game of what happens today is what the Lord is doing. He looks out and says, the Lord has a bigger plan. 
And I think that's what happens to many of us when we don't have a long vision. We just look in the short term. It doesn't explain everything that happens that we say is bad. But if we just pause for a moment and say, Lord, what are you doing right now? Can you bring me into your plan a little bit? Because I'm struggling. What happens here for Paul is that it becomes a much bigger thing that the Lord is doing in order to free Paul to preach the message for the next decade. Now, if Paul would have become frightened and tried to escape and get out of there, this wouldn't have been able to happen. But in verse 14, it says, but just as Paul started to make his defense, you could almost see him like, here I go again. Gallio turned to Paul's accusers and said, listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving, involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I would have reason to accept your case. But since it is merely a question of words and names and your Jewish law, take care of it yourselves. I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the courtyard. The crowd then grabbed Sothenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him right there in the courtroom. But Gallio paid no attention. What happens here is that because of this very random ruling from this authority in the Roman Empire, Paul is then free to go and preach for 10 years with no opposition. So sometimes when we are losing our job, it opens up a door for the Lord to do what he wanted us to do all along. Sometimes it's about realigning our own character so that we can hear his voice more clearly. Sometimes it's just bad stuff happens. And it strengthens our character because instead of relying on ourselves, we rely on him. Satan gives his best attack or the, the corruption of this world and how the world is falling apart because of sin hits us, but because we fall back in the hands of God, our faith is strengthened. And we become a better leader for Jesus. We become someone who can represent him even better. So oftentimes when we hit those struggles or those obstacles, what if we pause for a second and just say, Lord, what are you doing? Maybe in me or through me, what do you want me to see? How can I serve you more? There's a few things that we learned, some important lessons about listening to God in this very short part about Corneth. The first thing is his ways are better than our ways. As sooner you can give that up and go, you know what? No matter what happens in my life, the Lord is over it. And even if I go, oh, his way is better than my way. So rather than resisting it, I'm just going to fall into it. The second thing is what he gives us is valuable. So we can't just sit on it. 
That message of Jesus is too valuable for us just to go, boy, that's really good for me. You are called to be watchmen. The moment that you say, I believe in Jesus, you will become a watchman for your family, your friends, your extended relationships, your city, your country. You can't just sit on it and keep it and keep giving it to people that reject it. God is calling you to reach out to those who have not yet heard or to those who have rejected it from someone else but may just receive it from you. The death of the third thing is the death of, and resurrection of Jesus is too important for us to squander. We have to trust him that when we give that message, his power will make a change. We can't come back to ourselves and go, well, if I knew more of the Bible, then I would tell someone about Jesus. If my faith was stronger, then I'd tell someone about Jesus. If my life was perfect and I didn't sin, then I'd tell someone about Jesus. It's not about you. The moment you believe in Jesus, it's all about Jesus. And that message is powerful in those that you are watching. And the fourth thing that we need to hear in this message is that you have to show up. Sometimes the most important thing for us as disciples of Jesus is that we show up. What I mean is that when you hear that voice of God and he goes, I really need you to work in, your, in the life of your family and you get that invite for the birthday party and you really don't want to go to it, show up. Show up. But don't show up to represent yourself. Don't show up and be like, I don't want to be here. Show up and ask the Lord, how will you use me right now? I'm ready. Are you guys willing to do that? Yes. When you show up, so I'm going to take it back to the story of this week of the hand of God. I could have made a choice in my meeting with the district rep and said, I'm not going to go to Bethany. I've been there and the meeting room sucks and I don't want to go there. This isn't a place for us. Why would I want to do that? That was what was going in my mind. So I could have chosen not to show up. Now, does that mean that God would remove that gift, remove that gift from us? Not necessarily, but boy, I wouldn't have a story with it, would I? I get removed from it. That's the case, guys. When you decide not to show up, you get removed from the life transformation that's going to happen. You don't get to share in it. You get removed from that family member that you've been praying for. That if you would have just shown up and represented Jesus, you would have got to see them say, I love Jesus. I believe that I have life now forever. And I don't know if you've experienced that with someone before. But it is 
the most beautiful gift you can ever receive. It is better than the biggest bonus your boss can ever give you. Because you've just made an eternal difference in someone's life. And God chose you, you, to represent him. So when I ask you guys to represent the kingdom, it's not because there's something in my mind thinking, oh, it'd be so cool if Oikos was the biggest church in Houston and we were just out there and swarms of people were coming because you're all representing. Seriously? It's because I want you to have a story where you can relate back to the people that you shared a message to and you saw a transformation occur. Not from your power or your great words, but because the Lord chose you that moment, that time to represent him. We often try to separate ourselves from these men of faith, Paul, Peter, John. How many of you think you could be like Paul or Peter or John? So that was the honesty. Now I want us all to raise our hands. Because God, if he can save the world, he can make you a Paul, a Peter, or a John. Because guess what? He made Paul, Peter, and John. Paul was a murderer. Peter was an idiot. And John was like, kumbaya guy. Don't discount what the Lord has already done in you. And I think that's our problem in the Christian church today. We forget that the Lord is much bigger than who we think we are. The Lord is much more powerful than how weak we think we are. The Lord is much, he thinks much more highly of us than even the cockiest person in here. Because you're his son and his daughter. And when you are blessed, if you're ever blessed having children or when you work with children and you see them succeed, I want you to remember that that's what God sees in you. He is so excited about every step we take when we move with him. He's so excited that it's like a parent watching a child walk for the first time. That the first time you share that Jesus loves you with someone else, he gets excited and he takes a bunch of pictures and he Instagrams them all for everyone to see. Change your perspective about who God is because he sees you so differently than you see yourself. You see someone with so much potential that you can change the world. May we be people who represent Jesus, not because of our own strength, but because we know that God lives in us and through us. May we represent Jesus, not because we're going to do something for ourselves, but because we know that God has already planned something for us to do, and we merely need to step into it. Let's not make this so hard. Let's just fall into his arms and be joyful about what he's going to do with you today.
and this week, and next week, and until He comes again. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning that You have given us a message, that You've given us a testimony, a testimony that Your hand is in things. There's no other way we can explain what's going on with Bethany other than Your hand is in it, that You heard our desires, that You're answering prayers, and that You love Oikos, and You want to provide for us. We thank You for that. We thank You for your word, Lord, and we pray that it wouldn't be just something that we read and we study. Lord, we think about if I ask my daughter to go and read the word and, and she comes back and tells me what she read. If I ask my daughter, go clean your room and she leaves for a little bit and she says, comes back and goes, I memorized that. I cleaned my room but she hasn't cleaned her room. Lord, help us not to be that kind of person. Help us to receive your word. Hear it. Let the transformation happen within us that we respond to it so we can represent you. It only happens because your message lives in us. So let the preoccupations of today, whatever is going on in our mind, kind of be removed as we close up worship today. May we seek your voice, listen to your words, try to follow your ways, and Lord, be empowered to do your works. Because it is when we are following you, when we are in step with you, that we have true joy. It's when we know our identity is not something that we achieve, but it was something that you gave that we have pure joy. Lord, I pray for joy as we end out this summer for the families that are assembled here, for the individuals who are assembled here. May you give them pure joy as they sent, are sent into the places where you've already opened up the door to bring your message and represent you. In your name we pray, amen.